August of 2000, the, a buddy of mine that I have been partying way too long with for way too many days, um, you know, I'm giving him a hard time about money he owes me, and he and he says like, "Hey, I know how to get I know how to get your money back to you today." Um, and this is the crazy part that everyone always like jumps out of their seat. He goes, "Let's go rob a bank." Now, a normal person at that point would just laugh and say like, "Okay, like next, like let's just have let's go back to partying." But the me type of person is like, "Ooh, tell me more, tell me more about this idea," because you know, and and then so this other thing that kind of happens in that, like your flex just now, totally. Like yeah. that is what happens. So what happened was there's these two kids that have been partying for too long and both of them wants the other one to think they're super hard, super hardcore. Totally. We're like, we're so badass. And so both of, us is badass. A, both of us is hoping that the other person is going to say, this is a bad idea. Neither of us wanted to be the person to say, this is a bad idea because we both had to be the hardcore one. And so unfortunately yeah. it was like this stupid game of chicken where the long story short is in the middle of a day in August of 2000, the, um, my, I drive my buddy to a bank. He goes in and uh, robs the bank with a gun, with a face mask, comes, jumps back in my car. We drive off and we're like, I, I think we're mostly excited. We're also like scared. We're also like, did this really happen? You know, there's times in your life where you're like, yeah. what's going on? We drive up to his house and um, we're thinking... Oh my gosh, that was like, that just happened. We're so like, we're so hardcore. Now, mind you again, when I'm like, when he gets in my car, I'm expecting him to come in and say, I didn't do just it. Just kidding. I didn't do right. it. Like totally. that. Yeah. He jumps in and I remember saying, whoa, I just kicked my monitor. I remember saying, um, oh, you did it? He's like, yeah, go, 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 go. And I was thinking, holy shit. So the question is this. How do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Rockstars, this is Shelby Johnson, and today I get to interview Aaron Amugasagi, your regular real estate rockstars host, but I am the captain now. Uh, so <laughs> what? That is an awesome interview. Uh, I'm the captain uh, now. You have to you have to re you have to own that I'm the captain now. Dude, I thought I did. You know, I rehearsed in front of the mirror this morning, but you know, I guess it wasn't up to par. Damn it. Uh but that's okay. Okay, so before I ask you a ton of questions, I want to do like a flashback, little rewind about how we got here. Uh, so it was, it was 2022, it was the first ever Real Estate Rockstars mastermind. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was like day one and we had those picnic tables outside, everyone was eating lunch. And I came over and I sat at your table and I was like, yo dude, like what is your story? Like, I feel like I don't know the what, what, who Aaron is. And you, that was the first opportunity that I got to hear at least bits and pieces of your story. And I was blown away for so many reasons. Like I came back raving about the mastermind, but also about like Aaron, his story. It's wild, like holy shit. And so then fast forward a year and it's 2023, Real Estate Rockstars Mastermind, just a couple weeks ago. And we were on one of our little morning runs and I asked you, I was like, yo, like, when are you going to share your story? Like, when are you presenting? And being the humble man that you are, of course, you're like, no, no, no. Like, they already know me. And I'm like, bro, 
give the people what they want. So this is our chance to flip the switch. And it's about time that we get to hear about the man behind the mic. So if you haven't heard this story yet, brace yourself because it is a total wild ride. Aaron, are you as pumped as I am? Dude, I just got chills, Shelby. You're like a, you're just (laughs) such a natural already. The, um, it is, it is so much fun. And the, from you and I, like the trust I get to have in you for this part of that is, is also based in this crazy friendship and like the, you know, deep family friendship that we've built that we call our, our little family um, that like did our Ironman together and everything else that started with a podcast interview. And so it's really wild that a podcast interview can turn into these, these other things. And now you're one of my like deepest, closest friends out there. I would not trust just handing the reins to somebody. And for <laughs> listeners before she started, she said, Hey, are there any rules right now in this? And I said, there's no rules. You're the host. Let's go. So the, uh, so yeah, she said, let's flip the script. I want to interview you instead. And here we are. And it actually blew my mind. I kept waiting for like you to be like, hey, do you want to talk about how to do this? Hey, do you want to like touch base on what hosting is like? And nope, we are just sending it. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> so. you're in the middle of it. You're thrown, you're thrown right into the fire and you're, you're crushing. Perfect. Okay, so I really want to start at the very beginning. Like I want to know about, you know, growing up, your family, what your early life looks like, and then move into college days, into the real estate roller coaster, and then where we are now. So that's kind of like the flow of what I'm thinking. Okay. So how does that sound to you? That is a deep story. I mean, you're going to have to stop me a bunch of times along the way and ask me questions okay. because as that as that rolls through, all of a sudden we'll be 20 minutes down the line. You'll be like, all right, that wasn't what I was looking for. Let's cut that. Let's cut this part out. Yeah. I'll be like, stop, stop. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I want to know. So growing up, what did that look yeah, like? Yeah. Growing up, I grew up in not very many people. Nobody's really asked me that on a podcast. So I, I grew up in a small town in Southern Oregon. Um, and the, you know, I went to preschool with like 25 people. When I graduated from high school, I graduated with like 150, but like 25 of them were the ones from my preschool class, right? I never had to learn how to meet anyone in life. I didn't have to like learn how to like go make friends because I, because when you're like five, you're fearless, you meet people. And then I never had to like meet people again. Or every time I did, I already had this basis of like friend of friends and things like that. The, it was amazing in one sense. The problem with that was I didn't learn many social skills. I didn't realize I didn't need to learn any social skills because when you grew up in a small town and everybody knew you and my mom was the superintendent of the city schools and my dad was a really big custom builder and home builder, like he would build the hospital and things like that. So there was our our name was all over um, around there. So it always felt like somebody knew me, which again, there's so many pros and cons of that. Like, so the pro of everybody knowing you is socially, you don't have to learn how to meet people. Um, but the con of that is you're held to like these different standards where people make assumptions about you as soon as they meet you, right? And it's going to be based on who your older sister is, who your, who your younger siblings are, who your parents are. You know, I can't remember how many times in my life I, I, somebody mentioned, oh, because of your mom, I know this, or because of your dad, I know this about you. Um, and just trying to one, like sometimes live up to it and sometimes break that chain and be like, People don't know me. I want people to right. to know me for me. I also grew up in the 80s. I hate aging myself, but I grew up in the 80s. And one of the things that I experienced through that time forms a lot of like my my real estate basis, my life basis, you know, some of the beliefs that I've got out there. Um, there's a really good book by Morgan House that was like the, 
Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it before the, the, the podcast is over, but in okay. the middle of his story, um, you know, it, it really talks about based on when you were born changes so much of your experience of life. Mm -hmm. Like people that were born in certain years, love investing in stocks because of what they experienced, you know, in their first 10 years of their life or what they saw their parents, you know, people that are born in other times, other time periods, like 90 to 2000 are going to have some much different beliefs on like, on like stock markets and things like that, based on what their parents went through. So, so much of our habits are formed, like totally. what happens between we're like one and 10, our beliefs on the world, our investing beliefs on the world happen. Um, during that, his book's called The Psychology of Money. You did it. You got Psychology there. Psychology <laughs> of Money. Otherwise, we're going to be like 20 minutes down the line. So so I think those years are important. So years one through 10, 80s in Southern Oregon. So I remember yeah. when I was really, really young, my dad was uh, a home builder. His, his parents were like uh, developers and they were like buying land to subdivide it, uh, which was a really cool thing. And then like mid 80s, and, and it was a logging town. Most of the money in that town came from logging um now somewhere like early 80s mid 80s they made the, the spotted owl became a protected species when that became a protected species the everyone like in klamath falls lost their jobs this logging town so we lived in a city where all of a sudden oh. nobody had jobs anymore and my dad went from being a developer to like trying to go check out other cities to see where he was going to go get to work trying to apply for other jobs he was selling fireplaces door to door I remember time time periods where it was like there was milk in the fridge, but I could, but I wasn't supposed to be the one drinking out of it because we only had a certain amount of money and dad needed energy. Um, and also part of part of that growing up, what he really instilled on me was a lot of kind of like hard work uh, as we were doing different things. Now everybody says that, but I remember you know in the summers the all my friends got to go play, and he would send me to go like weed eat all of these like hillsides and stuff that they that they owned. And he was like, I'll pay yeah. you for it. I'm like, I don't care if you pay me. I don't want to do it. Right. So I would spend the summer just like weed eating, weed eating for just days, just cutting, like cutting down the grass on all these developments that they had essentially bought, but they couldn't sell lots on because the market had changed. Or I remember like snow days where snow, where school would get canceled because of too much snow and everybody yeah. would be sledding having the time of their life. And I was having <laughs> to shovel our roof and shovel our driveway and shovel other people's. My dad always just pushed me like, You've got to go work during all these times. So I was kind of pretty resentful during some of those times. So, but you know, got through it. it the funny part, so much funny part, part of my story is like through high school, I was a wrestler. I loved wrestling. Uh, I loved golfing. I was like voted most likely to succeed. I was the salutatorian. Like that means all, all A's and oh a B God. through high school. Super nerd. I was a nerd. I was a really good <laughs> high performer. That's what I talk about. You know, I didn't know how to meet yeah. people. Um, so like, you know, I'm 18 years old. I get ready to go off to college and I'm thinking my whole world's in front of me. And I, some, I had some chips on my shoulder. I had some like life experiences and strengths that I didn't know were strengths yet. Uh, and then I was getting ready to, to head off. What do you questions do you have about that period before we jump into? Oh the my gosh, there is so much. Yeah. Okay. So uh, question about, you said it, you know, growing up in different time periods really shapes you and how you think about investing and whatever. How do you think growing up in the eighties shaped you initially and it has it still, or has that evolved? Yeah. The, um, getting to see my dad go from being like wealthy to like selling fireplaces door to door to pay the bills that helped yeah. me quickly. Like see like, Hey, sometimes that happens in life and yeah. you don't get to, you don't get to sit around very long and say, poor me. Um, when something happens, you like got to quickly get into action and nothing can be below you. Right. 
and that that really helped me you know later in life on a, on a part of my story that i'll get to of going from like being in one place and getting to another so learning from him when i getting to see yeah. when i was like five or six like you know you do what needs to be done for yourself for your family for whatever so like doesn't matter how good things are if that changes you got to be willing to push forward and do whatever it takes um and then the investment side like the other side of what i remember back then too was the 80s and super high interest rates that really where you know the fed intentionally needed to, to stop inflation so they raised rates so high that it put a whole bunch of developers out of business and when i get to talk about some of my mentors that were around back then they say hey it was great for the economy and it was great for the people but it was really bad for like developers and property owners and things like that so i think that makes me a little bit leery and a little bit more of a glass half empty guy right now totally. um, because i'm yeah. seeing some similarities um from back then but the uh but yeah and people talk about too like that i mean i guess everybody grew up at, at times when we didn't have phones and we didn't have other things but i think i just think more of the you know back then parenting was still like pushing that you know do lots of hard work and then getting to experience a time in life where where um there's a lot of time in the 80s where most people just weren't financially well off it wasn't it wasn't depression era by any means but there was like right. long periods of time where people in general were like really struggling to find themselves that's, I think that's really cool. And that's really, um, good insight that you have. Cause like for, for me personally, I grew up in the nineties and I didn't get into real estate investing and in, or real estate in general into till like 2018. So I've only seen this very small little world. And, uh, I feel like I'm missing in so many ways, like this, the, you know, the bigger picture, um, which I find you have a lot of insight on and it's super valuable. So um, I'm just saying that that's, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. Okay. So I want to ask more questions on that, but I think I'm gonna move on. So after this, you're, you're 18, you've lived in this, this town where everyone knows you, they know your family, and then you go off to college. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. What does that, the, what does that um, piece look like? Man, this is so much fun as we get to start to, <laughs> to go through, to go through this. The, so that's my favorite. One of, so one of those, <laughs> I talked about also kind of having a chip on my shoulder. So like, so yeah, so I was the nerd that got all the good grades, but I also didn't like being known for that because I felt like part of that was because of you know, pressure that gets put on us for whatever reason. We could say family puts it on me. I could say my dad put it on me. I could say that I put it on myself because I misunderstood, yeah. whatever. But like pressure. So part of like, I didn't like it when people were like, hey, you're a nerd. So then half of my life was this guy that was doing that. And I de definitely very much was. And then the other part of me was like, well, what can I do to counteract that? And I, and I remember like, you know, trying, you know, smoking weed for the first time and like smoking cigarettes and starting to party. And what I really liked what started to happen in like my junior and senior year of, of high school was like my mindset, my, the brain mindset was first, it was like, you know, we were smoking weed with buddies. And then it was like, oh, we're paying for this. And then it was like, well, how, what if you bought like, a, what if you bought more? What if you bought more of that? And so it got to this point where I started like in my brain was like, so if I was able to get like a pound of weed from Mexico and sell it to my buddies, then I could smoke for free and I could make a gazillion dollars. Dude, business. business. So instantly I turned like this thing <laughs> and I loved it. I mean, I tell you what, I loved it. Like my junior, senior year when people would like come to a party and they'd be like, we want to get some weed. And they go, oh, Aaron has it. And it's in his backpack. And the reaction yeah. that people would give me of like, oh my God, Aaron, you were the last person I was going to expect that would be the one selling weed here. And I was like, yes, you loved that. that's what I yes. wanted. I wanted, yeah. I, I wanted to like reshow who I could be instead, like force, forcefully creating this other persona. Yeah. 
Like you don't know me. Yeah, you don't know me. Like, look at I'm, I'm I'm a bad kid too. I'm not just a good kid. I'm a bad kid too. Yeah. Um. So I jump. I go to University of Oregon. The um. I'm really excited about getting up there. First, I like like move into the dorm. Uh, pretty soon after that, I move into a fraternity house, and I'm kind of doing that same thing where I'm getting to show like who my friends are, what makes me different. Hey, being the guy that's wanting to buy, you know, buy lots of weed to sell. Because the other thing that comes with like being a, a, a selling weed, right, is that like these friends, friendships, I'll put in quotes, right? People that really yeah. pay attention to you, that like want to be your friend, that like all of a sudden you're like instantly cool because that I liked that. I liked being kind of instantly cool. That made it easier for me to meet people. Because again, I wasn't good at meeting people. So part of what I really struggled with uh, at University of Oregon was even like going and introducing myself to somebody new. Like as I went from a small town to a giant town. And so that kind of pushed me into like essentially finding the friendships where like weed and those environments really helped. And you know, totally. the end of like- and You had instant value. Instant value. So like <laughs> the end of my like freshman year there, all of a sudden like I'm partying a ton. I'm living in a fraternity house. I start experimenting with all sorts of drugs instead um, that were like that. And, and, but, but I also got all A's. And yeah, and it was at you know in the University of Alan. Architecture. Yeah, so I was still like getting the good <laughs> grades. So the problem with that is I couldn't really tell if I was making you know that bad of decisions um, because of that. But you know, so I got through. I got through my first two years at University of Oregon, and then like that next summer, man, my life really like wrecked shop uh, for a little. Like had a big, big change that kind of changed everything. But uh, any little, any questions about that last section? Gosh, uh, no questions on that. It's just this next part is the part that also blew my mind. But um, so, yeah, no questions. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. See, <laughs> and this next part, like I had, um, th I think it's on like maybe two podcasts that are out there. The For a long time, I had trouble sharing the story with anybody and really wanted it to be secret. I wanted to make sure nobody knew this next chapter of my life because there were, because it created a lot of challenges for a while. But like every anything in life, like the challenge gets to happen, you know, at, for a while it happens to you and eventually it happens for you. And now it can be something that it's kind of like when I was um, shoveling snow and I was just hating my dad for it. And when I was weed eating hillsides and I was just hating my dad for it. And then sometime in my thirties, I was like, oh my God, I'm successful because my dad exactly. made me shovel snow and weedy. And it really was that simple. Um, and it's because he sold fireplaces in front of me, uh, when he went from making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to nothing. And so I can go like, oh, so, totally. and so this, the next part, so, you know, you go from, you know, you're a kid that struggles meeting people, doesn't really have much life experience, the pro and the con of growing up, you know, where, where you live, small town, good grade type stuff. And, you know, somewhere near and soft. So during summer of my like sophomore year of college, um, I'm just starting to get into some really bad stuff. I'm starting to get into some really bad drugs, you know, really bad partying, you know, same stuff that's happening before. And I would justify it by going, hey, I'm paying for my college tuition. You know, I'm on my own. It's also like fun and I'm smarter than everybody and all sorts of other things. And like the quickest long story short. So one day, like this is August in uh, August 2000, 23 years ago. This actually came up uh, in a loan deal I was working on about a year ago. Um, no way. Yeah, so it still comes up every once wow. in a while. So August of 2000, the a buddy of mine that I had been partying way too long with for way too many days, you know, I'm giving him a hard time about money he owes me, and he and he says like, "Hey, I know how to get I know how to get your money back to you today. 
um, and this is the crazy part that everyone always like jumps out of their seat. He goes, let's go rob a bank. Now, a normal person at that point would just laugh and say like, okay, like next, like what's this happen? Let's go back to partying. But the me type of person is like, ooh, tell me more. Tell me more about this idea. Cause you know, and, and then, so this other thing that kind of happens in that, like you're flex just now, totally like yeah. that is what happens. So what happened was there's these two kids that have been partying for too long. And both of them wants the other one to think they're super hard, super hardcore. Totally. We're like, we're so badass. And so both of, us is a, both of us is hoping that the other person is going to say, this is a bad idea. Neither of us wanted to be the person to say, this is a bad idea because we both had to be the hardcore one. And so unfortunately yeah. it was like this stupid game of chicken where the long story short is in the middle of a day in August of 2000, the, um, my, I drive my buddy to a bank. He goes in and uh, robs the bank with a gun, with a face mask, comes, jumps back in my car. We drive off and we're like, I, th I think we're mostly excited. We're also like scared. We're also like, did this really happen? You know, there's times in your life where you're like, yeah. what's going on? We drive up to his house and um, we're thinking, oh my gosh, that was like, that just happened. We're so like, we're so hardcore. Now, mind you again, when I'm like, when he gets in my car, I'm expecting him to come in and say, I didn't do just it. Just kidding. I didn't do right. it. Totally. Like yeah. He jumps in and I remember saying, whoa, I just kicked my monitor. I remember saying, um, oh, you did it? He's like, yeah, go, 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 go. And I was thinking, holy shit. Like, so there's oh this, so, so many emotions as I'm telling the story right now, it's bringing me back to all these different levels of like trying to figure out what the real feeling was. I don't really know what the real feeling was. Yeah. But pretty quickly afterward, by the next day, it started turning to this like fear. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use follow-up boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using follow-up boss. So we use follow-up boss. So we use follow-up boss. I love follow-up boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to Follow Boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Rivity, Sync, I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones, but me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used LineDesk, I've used Conversion, and I think Follow Boss gives you the most integrations Mm -hmm. that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up box better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user friendly it just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow-Up Boss. Purely objective, Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses 
as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Now, I might get some dates and like times wrong, like how long it lasted, but pretty soon after, um, I remember my dad reaching out to me and said, hey, there was a, a Honda CRV that was reported being nearby there, and he knew that I was up to no good in my life. Yeah. And he knew I was in town. I wasn't supposed to be in town. I was supposed to be living in Arizona at the time. And he was like, so what happened? Was that your car? What's going on? And that was my car. That was the kind of car that yeah. I drove. And so the, at that point, um, I went and turned myself in, my dad had gotten me an attorney and the, you know, we were thinking like, okay, we're going to be able to get through this. Now there was a bunch of denial going on at that time because I was still yeah. pretty drug induced in my life. And so the crazy part was we get down there, uh, we start talking to the district attorney and, um, and he's and like, what he tells me is, Hey, here's what's going to happen. You are going to, um, you're going to like, tell us what happened. You're going to admit to everything and then you're not going to do any prison time. Um, you'll end up getting a felony, but we'll be able to take it off your record. You'll do like 30 days in jail, um, but you can do it like on the weekends. So it'll be no big deal, uh, but we're going to send, but we're going to send you to rehab. And I'm like, and my attorney's like, yes. And I'm like, yes. So the, so we go through that process and it's like four days of interviews because also what comes out at that point, like part of the deal is like, Hey, you tell us everything. You're not going to get in trouble. So I'm like, I also sell weed. I also did this because I'm like, I'm going to get a clear slate right now. All the things that were in the back right. of my mind of like crimes I've committed, I'm going to just tell them. Confession. Yeah, it was. So I'm like, this is going to be so cool. Well, yeah, they were not expecting that I was going to have three days. Like they thought that I was a good kid that maybe made one bad decision on one bad day. So that didn't really gotcha. help my case, even though. So, all right. So I'm in rehab thinking this is great. This is like, like two weeks later now I'm at, I'm in a rehab center and, um, and I have my deal and then I get a call and they said, Hey, um, from, a, from my attorney. And they said, Hey, there's another attorney that's reaching out to you. He's a federal attorney and you need to call him. And so the U S marshals came to my rehab center and they said, Hey, you're getting indicted tomorrow in federal court and you need to come over to it. And I was like, what do you mean? And get like, I'm getting indicted in federal court. This is already like, we're already like signed, sealed, collected. Yeah, like, we're done. Like, we're done with, yeah. we're done with this. Um, totally. and they go, no. So the, I go to this, I go to this other court. And the long story short, as I said, um, hey, uh, the feds are not, we're, we're not going to honor this deal that you were given because we don't think you should have been given that deal. Uh, we think it was because of, you know, whoever you were in that community. And so we're not going to honor that deal. So now you're getting indicted. Well, the problem was I had already um, told them everything and they have everything recorded and they have all of the evidence of everything. And I, that was, and that was a pretty scary um, time. So that, that big moment was like, Hey, there's a lot of feelings. This isn't fair. Life isn't fair. This isn't what was supposed to happen. Mission number one was try to make sure I get to like stay out of prison on release while they're waiting for essentially, but now I was given a trial, right? So it's like, now I was getting indicted. I was lucky enough to get held on pretrial release, which pretty meant much like, all right, so my trial was going to be six months from now, but I could like finish rehab and go home. 
I had to get drug tested all the time. I had to go, like, you know, they had to, they were able to keep track of me like a probation offer, officer ahead of time. You know, over the next six months, we kept trying to like fight it and like come up with videos and things like that. And the, and the federal prosecutor said, look, so when they indicted me, it was like United States of America versus Aaron Muchastegui for uh, terrorism. Because at that point, like that, like, Holy yeah, so terrorism, acts against the U.S., like conspiracy, all these crazy what? things. And so as they announce it, they're like, each of them has a maximum sentence of like 75 years. And so the guy, the guy in, in, I remember the attorney in May said, look, you're, so you might, we can take this to trial on a contract clause and you can like go down with the ship saying you were, oh, you were made this deal and we may have to honor that at your trial. He goes, but if we do that and you lose, we're throwing the book at you and you'll do the rest, you'll spend the rest of your life in prison. Or you plead guilty to this, even though you've already admitted to that. And, you know, essentially you'll go to prison for a couple of years. And I said, um, and that was, that was actually really tough for me because I still was like wanting to stick to my guns of going, that's not fair. Yeah. Now, yeah. That's not fair. Isn't really true. Like I was, I did, I obviously made some really fucking big mistakes. And so like, like, so me wanting to be like, that's not fair. Like you guys lied to me, all that stuff. Wanting, wanting to like yeah. place a whole lot of blame. I had blame. to finally over that next couple of years, come to some like self-acceptance of some of that stuff. But I ended up um, saying, okay, I would rather, you know, be done with this in a couple of years, have it be behind yeah. me, have a fresh slate. Sure thing. So mm -hmm. I plead guilty I say, okay, um, there was a chance that maybe I was going to be able to get some lower sentencing. I had a quick little story with it. I, so part of, the, part of what was happening with the sentencing was originally we thought, we, we actually thought when I pled guilty that I was going to get between five and six years. Now there's these ways in the federal system where you can get some reductions. And there were a lot of little reductions that we were trying uh, to argue. Yeah. And one was like, hey, this isn't like Aaron's normal behavior. It was like a one-time act. We had like people that worked at the bank write letters for me because during that year that I was out waiting for my sentencing, I had like become a really good kid after all. Like I had like, yeah. I cleaned up. I'd started to help people in the community. There was one night in particular, we were driving home from going from bowling and it was midnight. And there was a guy on the side of the road in a, in a van who was with one leg trying to like push his van forward. And we're like, that is so weird. I pull over uh, with a buddy. Uh, his name is Josh. The uh, and Josh actually died the following year, which was like crazy story that almost. Um, so anyway, I'm there with Josh. The we help the guy out. We we go. Hey, do you need help? He goes. I'm having a heart attack. We're like, oh my gosh. Put the guy in our car. Veteran with one leg. Yeah. We rush up to the hospital. We get him in a wheelchair. We wheel him in. They say, okay, we have it from here. We say good luck. I drive home. We don't think anything of it. Uh, we're thinking, okay, this is um, you know. And I'm telling somebody the story like two weeks later. Hey, craziest thing happened to me and Josh the other night at the bowl when we were bowling and this happened and this guy named Jim Yaney goes, I've heard this story before. Uh, and I, this other, another fr a friend of mine is who that was. He was telling me that story. Would you like to talk to him? And so I went and met with the guy, the, um, he's like, you saved my life. He ends up writing letters to the judge too. That was like, look, like a week, like two weeks ago, Aaron saved my life when hundreds of cars passed us by. The, he got me to the hospital right on time. I would have died. Like Aaron's a good person. So the little things like that really helped. That got it down to a two-year um, sentence. But at this time, I'm still scrawny little white kid from yeah. Oregon that's never seen anything really in the world yet. And getting sent to a, a prison in Southern California was a pretty wild awakening. Dude, yeah. What a freaking... That is an insane roller coaster all at 
already. And I just want to say, first of all, like, thank you for sharing that because I know it can't be easy. And even though, you know, you've gotten a little more comfortable with it as the years go by, like bringing all that back and, and just, you know, it's, it's hard because all of us were kids once and there's so many people who had probably very similar experiences than yours, but didn't end up in prison. So like very relatable and very, very cool to see how far you've come in life and also the type of person that you you talked about about helping the guy with the one leg and who had the heart that's the person i know that the person i know is the one who would stop and help anyone who puts forth extra effort to reach out to a friend to send a little care package to you know just make people feel welcome and take care of the world so anyway i just want to say thank you before we moved on to yeah else. the um yeah. I, I appreciate that. It's funny in life, all of us, we can get like judged by our weakest moments, right? We can do some amazing, amazing things and we do one wrong thing and it can go really far. Totally. And, but, and that's life. And people should like really think about that. Like as they're making decisions, because you, th you see these people that are like famous coaches and famous people, like the whole cancel culture and things like that. And some of it's justified, some it's not, but it's really easy to make a bad decision and a bad decision that can last a long time, you know, and again, it turned out being good for me. So I was 21 years old going, you know, getting sent to a, a Southern California prison, which was a wild, wild experience because it's very race driven. You know, in my life, I'd never had to talk much about race, but the there's 150, you know, white people there out of 2,500 inmates that are there. And so the definitely the minority for the first time in my life. Um, they're really in, you know, intense politics and all sorts of wild things there. But I had some really like good experiences that happened there. Uh, and some of them was, it was one of the first times in my life I had to learn to grow up on my own with nobody that could help me, nobody that could bail out. I was, you know, there were times when I was younger, I'd get pulled over like with weed, but they'd be like, oh, we recognize your, your, I, your dad. I have, a, yeah. I have a storage unit at your dad's place. Like the cop would say, yeah. like, good, good to see you. See you later. And so like, <laughs> so it was the first time in my life I had to be just me. I couldn't be propped up. I had to learn to meet people. I had to learn to, to be who I was. Right. I met some lifelong um, friends when I was there. I got to learn all sorts about politics. But one of the biggest things it did to me, I remember sitting in there like at you know, 21, 20, my, that like first Christmas when I was 21 years old, just really going like, whoa, this should be like an amazing time in my life. And maybe one of the first times that I really got like, this is all my fault, like, such an amazing time in my life, but I'm sitting here because of bad decisions I made. I got to make up for this. Like I was supposed to be somebody special. I was supposed to be somebody amazing. I was giving all these tools and instead of using them for good, I used them for evil. Like I need to really like, like make up for lost time here. I need to really kick it into high gear. And so that was the point when I started like taking online college classes, the, I was the GED, the GED teacher when I was in there, which has, I met some of my craziest friends that like when race riots and stuff would happen, those guys would make sure um, that I never got in, in, into any trouble. Like I had the most giant guys. Um, they're still my friends this day uh, that made sure like nothing bad would ever happen to me um, when crazy stuff would happen. But I, I ended up, oh. go ahead. <laughs> So you're talking about how you were sitting there in Christmas and you had this like realization it came over you about, you know, how you were given so much and you're essentially wasting tons of opportunity. But how, what, because a lot of people are in bad situations and they'll sit in it for years and they'll con they'll blame people till they die. So what do you think was the, how did you snap out of that 
was there any like book or friend or was it just you and your own thoughts? What did that look like? Yeah. It's such a good question. And I hope that, I hope that so many of these answers give it justice. Cause just as you're asking that again, I'm like, yeah, those moments are so important. Like we will all have moments of like extreme failure, right? And sometimes that's going to feel more extreme than others. Sometimes it's going to be losing a relationship. Sometimes it's going to be losing a business. Sometimes it's going to be losing lots of money. Sometimes it's going to be making decisions that like got other people fired, you know, and, and you see other people like experience loss because of things that you've made, you know, friends that have killed themselves that like the last time they tried to call, I didn't call back and like all sorts of stuff, right? We all have these like experiences that happen that get to be pretty devastating. And, um, and I think for, it's really important to actually live in them for a little bit. To live in them for a little bit because without regret, we don't have learning. So you have to have some pain and some regret and really think about what went wrong. And you have to go through those moments of going, man, if I get a second chance, I will do this, this, and this differently. So I think there's this combination of like learning the lesson and really reflecting on it. The benefit of having a lot of time to reflect on it and not having a way to cover it up. I think the people that stay in stuff for a long time are also covering it up in all sorts of different ways by like. Totally. By partying a lot, by like getting distracted by things, by like relationships. There's all sorts of ways to like not have to deal with the issue. But I think, you know, it being um, the holiday time really amplified the reflection point of going like, man, I'm super, super lonely right now. Like I'm super, super lonely. How did this happen? And like getting different letters and different things. And so I think, I think it had been on my mind and stuff I was thinking about and then that getting amplified by uh, by the holiday and then also like just doing some journaling around that time. So I think for a lot of people to snap out of it, there's like we're going to be giving all these different opportunities where emotion is like uh, amplified. Like around holidays, it happens around like birthdays. It happens. It could be like around an extreme event. That's why like you like Tony Robbins events or like masterminds, like things like that, like emotions can get amplified to the point that makes it happen faster uh, because yeah, people, totally. people do tend to sit in it longer than they need to. And, and I think if anybody has, is like, has been going through something, you have to ask yourself, like, have I learned my lesson from this? Like, what lesson am I supposed to be given? Like, how is this supposed to happen for me? What lesson am I supposed to be learning right now? And sometimes when something bad happens, you're not there yet. But if you're there in your bad experience and you've learned your lesson, you're like, yeah, I actually know my lesson that I was supposed to learn here. I know why this happened for me. Then it is absolutely your duty and your time to step out of it and move on from it. Like, if the lesson has been learned, you don't get to sit in it anymore. You're only supposed to sit in it until you learn your lesson. And the moment you've learned your lesson, like, you owe it to yourself and everybody else and everybody that you get to teach that that lesson to later, that now's the time to snap out of it and move on. Dude, that's so fucking powerful. Like, all of that. Yo, Behind Bars did not see that coming. Thanks for joining us for part one of our hero's journey. Same time, same place next week to see how Aaron bounces back after his legit prison time. Peace. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. 
So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.